in Romans, salvation is not limited merely to justification, is not limited merely to forgiveness and saying, well, I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. No, in Romans, and in fact, in all the Bible, salvation is complete deliverance. God doesn't do a partial job when He saves us. He wants us saved not only from the penalty of sin, but from the very power of sin. And Christianity transforms lives from the inside out. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Sanctification, that being set apart to the holiness of God, being set apart to a holy lifestyle, is a vital part of salvation. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Dead to the Law. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1, first chapter of Romans. Uh, From time to time it seems to me that it's good to, uh, in looking at a book like Romans, and in fact even as I say it, there is no other book that I'm aware of quite like Romans. But in looking at Romans, it's good from time to time to look back and get a, you know, just kind of step back from it and see the sweep of where the Holy Spirit is going, where the Apostle Paul, the inspired mind of the Apostle Paul is going. And I want to use the, uh, the verse that I noted is the key verse, I think, to the book, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Romans is all about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of God, as he called it in the very first verse of this book, the good news of God, about God, and from God. The good news, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God. Think about that. Uh, We talk about him. We maybe even get familiar and used to thinking about the gospel and the fact that it's the power of God. But God is the omnipotent. He's the almighty. Crown him with many crowns. Think about who he is. And the gospel is his power. His power for salvation, deliverance. The gospel is all about God delivering us. Victory over sin. Victory over its guilt. Victory over its penalty. Deliverance from its power. That's what Romans is going to be all about. He tells us right at the outset here. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. Salvation is my faith. And if you think through the early chapters of the book with me, He proved why we need deliverance in the first couple of chapters. The sinful nature of man, the depravity of mankind, born into sin, propensity to sin, delighting in sin, turning away from what we knew of God and plunging on into darkness. That's the whole race. And God provided a Savior, a deliverer. And this salvation is for all, notice, everyone who believes. And he unfolded that in chapters 3, 4, and 5. 
Salvation is by faith in God. You take him at his word, and because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, salvation is available to everyone who believes. It's faith apart from works. It's faith apart from any ritual. It's faith apart from any religious rite. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that salvation is absolutely permanent and secure. He underlined three different ways in chapter 5. Our salvation can never be lost because faith is never destroyed by the ups and downs of life. Real faith is purified. And he promises that he will build us in even the tribulations of life. Our salvation is secure. Our justification is permanent because of the love of God. If I loved you while you were a sinner, much more I love you now that you're my child, basically. You could summarize the middle section of chapter 5. And then the one act of Adam and the one act of Christ delivering us from the race of Adam, the balance of chapter 5. But you know, in in Romans, salvation is not limited merely to justification, is not limited merely to forgiveness and saying, well, I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. No, in Romans, and in fact, in all the Bible, salvation is complete deliverance. God doesn't do a partial job when He saves us. He wants us saved not only from the penalty of sin, but from the very power of sin. And Christianity transforms lives from the inside out. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. You see, Christianity isn't merely, as some mistakenly think of it, as some sort of uh, divine insurance policy, kind of a fire insurance policy. I've heard people even laugh about that. A lot of religionists think of it that way, and they, they will tell you they've been baptized, they've joined the club. They've paid their dues. They gave quite a bit of money or whatever. And they think of themselves as right with God, as if they've kind of dealt with that. And even some evangelicals think that way. Doesn't mean they're saved, by the way. Uh, You can have the right little sayings on your lips, the same ones that real believers have, and not be right with God. And there are many today who would fall within the evangelical camp who say, yes, yeah, I've kind of, and they see salvation as merely kind of making sure for eternity that everything's dealt with. And so, yeah, I, I signed a card or I walked down the aisle at the meeting or I, I believe that. I, I hold to that truth. Uh, but there's no life transformation. We have every reason to suspect that kind of mere intellectual assent. So when we say salvation is by faith, we're talking about all of salvation. When you lay hold of Jesus Christ, He not only justifies you, He begins immediately the process of sanctification. And let me put it to you this way, and I'm getting to chapter 7, 6, 7, and 8. Sanctification, that being set apart to the holiness of God, being set apart to a holy lifestyle, is a vital part of salvation. And if I said, we are justified by faith, I would add, we are sanctified by faith. In both cases, it is God's grace. And in both cases, we lay hold of it by faith. There's a whole new life available. There's victory, there's deliverance, 
and it is all accomplished at the cross of Calvary. Now, chapters 6, 7, and 8 develop that, and you can turn over there because uh, I think it's helpful for us to remember this. They are crucial to Christian living. And just as justification is not by law, but by faith, and we saw that time after time in the early chapters of Romans, you're not going to be justified by law. So, sanctification is not by law. You're not going to be sanctified by law. The Christian life is not, okay, now Christ has saved you by His grace. Now here's ten rules to keep. Go for it. That's the way a lot of people think. And that's why it's so important that you and I know how it is that God works in our lives. And, you know, we saw it in chapter 6, didn't we? Don't you know, he said, knowing this, that Christ died once for all and you died with him. And so he moves from the early section of justification and Christ dying for us to this middle section, chapter 6, 7, and 8, we died with Christ. If the key word would be substitution in the earlier section, he died in my place, the key word in chapter 6, 7, and 8 is identification. I died with him. Okay? And I died to sin. I'm alive to God. And so chapter 6 of Romans we saw, he says, don't you know that? And the idea is you ought to know that. Consider it so, believe it, and then act on it. Present yourself to him. And notice how chapter 7 starts. Do you not know, brethren? What's he after? He wants us to know something. And you know, uh, I can hardly say that too often. Knowledgeable Christianity. Knowing something. Knowing who God is. Knowing how he operates in our lives. So crucial. We need to know the truth. And the truth will set us free. Of course, Jesus said how that will happen. If we abide in his word, we'll know the truth. And the truth will liberate us. Hence, we gather not merely to sing praises to God, but we gather to abide in his word. And of course, we don't just sing praises to God on the first day of the week. If you're a healthy Christian, you find yourself worshiping and praising God throughout the week. And if you're a healthy Christian, you don't just abide in his word once a week or twice a week. It's the very food of life. And so you abide in his word. You live there. You dwell in it. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And by the way, let me just say parenthetically there, uh, looking back at what we saw in chapter 6 and looking at that very first phrase of chapter 7, do you not know, brethren? Don't you know? It is crucial that you and I know things in the Christian life. And one of the healthiest things you can do for another believer is to teach them. Uh, I know the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers. I'm not saying that we're to set ourselves up as teachers in the official sense. But every Christian should be teaching. In fact, in Hebrews, he says, you guys ought to be teachers by now. He exhorts them. He rebukes them. He says, you ought to be teaching others by now. I've got to go back and review the elementary things with you. You ought to be teaching others. And I'll tell you something. I don't know how long you've known Christ, but however long you've known Christ, you ought to tell what you know of him to someone else. And uh, don't say, oh, I could never. No, teach. 
If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be teaching and admonishing one another. He commissioned us. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So let me just parenthetically exhort you to be teaching what you know of Christ to others. Parents, teach your kids. Workers, teach those around you at work. I don't mean be teachy, you know what I'm saying, but I mean Share what you know of Christ, and uh, knowledge is so key. Now, let's look at it. Don't you know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man... She shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the flesh were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, that's the doctrine That's the teaching of chapter 7. And I want us to look at it carefully. And don't miss the connection between verse 14 of chapter 6. Look back. Remember when he said, Don't you know? You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You rose again with Christ in chapter 6. He said it over and over in the first 10, 12 verses. He said, Know that, consider it, and then present yourself to him as those alive from the dead. Sin is no longer master over you. You died to sin. You're alive to God. Present yourself to Him. Why? Because, verse 14, sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then just skip the rest of the chapter. And really, it is, in one sense, parenthetical. So you go right from verse 14... Sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law, but under grace. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And he goes right into his argument there, that we're not under law, we're under grace. So we looked at it, and it's there for our profit, obviously, and it has tremendous truth for us, that last section of chapter 6. But for purposes of the argument, the flow of what he's saying, just bypass it for now. And he says, we're not under law, we're under grace. Don't you know, because I'm talking to you who know the law, he's speaking mainly to Jewish ears. Paul is writing, he's thinking of Jewish ears. But all the way through chapter 7, law speaks both of the Mosaic law that God gave to Israel, and it speaks of the law principle that uh, we all wrestle with. And so uh, just... Just listen up is the way I look at it. And he says, I'm speaking to you who know the law, and most of us are fairly well acquainted with uh, what 
what the law demanded, what the law said. And he says, listen, you're not under law, you're under grace. Now, don't you know, because I'm speaking to you who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Listen, he says, and he's going to say, and we just read it, you've died to the law. Just as Christ's death set you free from Adam's race, chapter 5, Christ's death set you free from sin as a master, chapter 6, because you died with Christ, so, chapter 7, you died with Christ, and that death set you free from the law. The law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he's alive. You know, you and I are not going to worry about the speed limits after we're dead. (laughs) It's just over. The law has jurisdiction over you, only while you're living under it. But when you die, why? Death ends relationship. And then he gives a simple illustration, verse 2 and 3. The marriage. The marriage of a husband and a wife. He says, the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. But if, while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. It's a simple illustration. You have a husband and a wife, and they stand before God and man and say, for better, for worse, until we are parted by death, till death do us part. If the husband dies, the wife dies. That's what he's saying. The two have become one. They're no longer just a man and a woman. They're a husband and a wife. If the husband dies, the wife dies. Now, the woman goes on living. The woman, but not the wife. You see what I'm saying? And you see what he's saying? He says, then she is free. She's a woman to be free to be joined to another man. If she joins herself to another man while her husband is alive, it's adultery. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law concerning her husband. And she is now free to be joined to another. Now, that's his simple analogy, and I don't see how people can miss it. It's straightforward, and he wants us to see it applied to our lives and our relationship to the law. Parenthetically, though, come to something like this in a culture like ours, and it seems to me I'd be remiss to not say that that's what marriage is all about before God, the two become one for life, until death do us part, not until incompatibility sets in, no, not until death of our love, I just don't love her anymore, none of that stuff. Christian marriage, God-given marriage, the institution of marriage, the very first institution He gave us, by the way, before the fall, before sin ever entered the picture, He said, I want one woman for one man for life. The two become one. And we do well to reverently tremble at His Word on this issue, Christians. Uh, Our culture throws it out like it throws every other portion of God's Word out, but perhaps more than any other area, we're seeing the fruit of a rebellion against God and His holy standards in this particular area. So he uses this analogy, and I know somebody say, oh, chapter 7 isn't about marriage. No, but he tends to use true analogies. You ever notice that? 
when he brings an analogy, and he doesn't use a false one. And so he brings truth regarding marriage to bear on our relationship to the law. So just as a wife, when her husband dies, in that sense her wifehood died, and she is a free woman to be bound to yet another, to join herself to another without any, without any cloud from God. He says, yes, that's good. Uh, so the relationship of the Christian to the law. Now watch him ap- apply it, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. When Christ died, we died. We died not only to sin, we died to the law. And the law has no more jurisdiction over us, so to speak. We are free to be joined to not a new set of laws, but another, the risen Christ. We're identified with the resurrected one. Death no longer is master over him, and we're in Christ. We're identified with him. The law has no jurisdiction over him. He died. We died with him, and we died to the law. We're no longer under law. We're under grace. We died to the law. Turn over to Galatians. And, uh, you know, I mentioned there's no other book like Romans. If there's one that's close, it's Galatians. Sometimes it's called a mini Romans, and sometimes it's good to let Paul comment on Paul, you know, and let Galatians be the commentary on Romans, and sometimes he'll say a whole chapter in a verse. Maybe sometimes three chapters in three verses. You know what I'm saying? In chapter 4, Galatians 4, When the fullness of time came, verse 4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He, Christ, the Son, His Son, that God sent forth, born of a woman, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There you've got Romans 6, 7, and 8, right there, in verses 4, 5. In fact, you've got Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. In one summary, God sent His Son to redeem us to redeem us who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we can be joined to the risen Christ, be joint heirs with Him and say, Abba, Father. And He's getting there in Romans. You know, that's Romans 8, I think it was verse 15, 16. That's where He's headed here in Romans. But Galatians just summarizes it in one succinct statement. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Dead to the Law, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. And nothing is more deadening than to just have a bunch of outward rules to conform to. Nothing is more discouraging. Nothing leads to more hypocrisy. And nothing is perhaps more fleshly in its overall impact than trying to live the Christian life as if it's just keeping laws. No. It is obedience to Jesus Christ. It is joined to the resurrected one. And outwardly, it may look similar. Somebody looks at some legalist life and they say they don't do this, they do that. And they look at a holy Christian life. And obviously, in a sinful world, in a corrupt culture like ours, our lives, we're not going to do a lot of things that everybody else is doing. We're not going to watch a lot of things everybody else is watching. But that's not the definition of the Christian. That's the fruit of the life joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ, the holy life that the Holy Spirit produces. Don't you go back, Christian, to thinking that the Christian life is just a bunch of rules to keep. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Dead to the Law. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 